large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither for the soil, fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let me just pray for Wayne before he comes to speak to us. Father God, we thank you for uh, Wayne. We thank you for his study of this passage and for your help in him working out what he's got to say to us today um, in relation to it. We pray that your spirit would be with him and would also be with us, opening our eyes to what you've got to say. And we pray that you might give us the courage, we might have the courage, to be able to apply what you've got to say to us, to our own lives today. Amen. Introduce me there, my name's Wayne. Those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at KCC. It's great to be with you. Um, would say it's great to be able to come and share God's word, but it's quite a serious passage as you've just heard. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully it will be a challenge, but also a great encouragement to you. Before I get into what I want to say, I've just got a quick task. We're going to give you about two or three minutes. You can do it on your own or if you're with other people, do it together. Uh, John's going to bring up the passage on the screen again uh, and go through each of the slides a little bit more slowly. What I'd like you to do, think about how would you summarise that passage in your own words in no more than two sentences, one or two sentences. Maybe try and imagine later today or tomorrow you go to school, you go to work, comes up in conversation, you're at church and somebody says, well, what was the main thing you were looking about? What was the main thing you were taught? What would you tell them? Having a look at that passage, what would be your one or two sentences to summarise it? So just a couple of minutes, either on your own or if you're with other people, you can work on that together.
just a little bit more time but if if you have come up with something already why not share it in the chat whilst we're waiting giving others a bit more time to have a go at that Okay, I haven't given you a lot of time. Uh, I'm sure with more time, you would be able to do that much better, uh, but hopefully you came up with something. But actually one of the main reasons I actually do that, we don't normally do it, but it is a good discipline, but I wanted you just to take a little bit more time reading the passage. We always had the passage read to us, but I just wanted you to feel the weight and the seriousness of what Jesus is saying. He says things like this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother such a person cannot be my disciple whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple no equivocation maybe to our ears it sounds a bit harsh our postmodern western ears where we think more about tolerance uh, than they would have done then very black and white no room for well this is my truth that's your truth and if we're honest if people ask us what is it like to be a christian we probably wouldn't use those terms we're probably more likely to say well being a christian can be hard sometimes and it can require some sacrifice and what we end up doing is giving the impression that cost and sacrifice christians is rare but actually our lives generally are just like everyone else's just as easy just as comfortable surely when we look at those words of jesus here we cannot allow ourselves to believe that is true we cannot carry on living as if that is true we cannot keep on telling other people that that is true jesus is absolutely explicit one distinctive hallmark of his true followers is that they are people who will suffer and make sacrifices that there is an obvious and noticeable cost to being a disciple of jesus so i had to go i've had longer than you did uh, i actually got your own summary sentence the one i came up with is being a true disciple is an all or nothing thing and i'm going to obviously take a bit longer to explain why i think that's the case we talk a lot about discipleship here at kcc we think it's really important there are many aspects what it means to be so many ways you could describe that and I hope today we're going to hear from Jesus that one thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world is that hallmark of cost and suffering and sacrifice. That's what makes us, in one sense, distinct as diff and different as followers of Jesus. But before we get to the actual passage, uh, I think today's passage is a, is a great example of why, whenever we look at scripture, we should look at it in the fuller context and interpret it in light of other scripture that we know because actually if you read that passage in isolation not only does it sound uncompromising and probably a bit extreme there's a danger i think we could come away believing jesus contradicts himself because he says or seems to say christians should hate some people including their parents 
and we know elsewhere that Jesus actually equates hate with murder. And we know he affirms the commandments, including honour your parents. And you could mistakenly think, well, if I give up everything, that means I'm a Christian. I'm okay with God, as if somehow we can buy our salvation and be reconciled with God in some kind of transaction. So not only is it a challenging passage, if we don't read it correctly, it can be a confusing passage. So Bible teachers and preachers often say context matters. Uh, I think today's passage will demonstrate why that is absolutely true. So what is our passage? What is our context? Uh, we started at verse 25, but actually the, the account that is part of goes right back to the beginning of chapter 14. At the start of the chapter, we read it, it's a Sabbath and Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee with a larger group. Doesn't say, but maybe they're eating together. Uh, maybe they've come from the synagogue and they invited Jesus to come and join them, maybe to hear some more of his teaching. Yeah, a bit like the practice we still have today. You, we would invite other people to our home on a Sunday before or after church, or we might invite the preacher or a visitor. But I hope that's where the similarity with us ends, because what we know about the Pharisees, that one reason they may have invited Jesus back was to catch him out, to get that gotcha moment. And then we read some of the interactions and Jesus is observing the Pharisees and telling them parables. But in the parables, he's openly judging them and criticizing their actions and motives. And again, we know that relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees was usually tense and guarded. Like I said, I hope the similarities, similarities with us did not extend that far. If you've been a Christian for a while, You'll have heard lots of times the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. They tried to catch him out and they wanted to stop people following him. But I wonder if that familiarity with that dynamic, with that relationship, actually sometimes we miss the tragedy of what is happening. These are the religious leaders. They're supposed to be teaching God's people and leading them in godliness, pointing them to God. They should be the ones saying follow our teaching and imitate our conduct. They should be the teachers and role models for the people of God. Of all the people in Israel, they should be expecting the Messiah and be able to recognize him when he arrives. And again, what might that look like for us today? Well, try and imagine if Jesus had been born in our time and he came along to KCC to see what we were up to. And the elders said, well, let's invite him to one of our homes for dinner. Let's talk with him some more. What a tragedy it would be if the only reason we did that was to try and catch him out. If our relationship was guarded and one where we wanted to try and trip him up and we were trying to stop people following him. Here's the very son of God sat with the religious leaders and they're blind to who he is. And not only are those Pharisees blind to his identity, they are his enemies. They want to catch him breaking God's law or teaching heresy to turn people against him. And so prior to our passage, just in that uh, final few verses before verse 25, Jesus tells a parable of the great banquet where he proclaims his judgment on these Pharisees, telling them if they would only listen, they've been invited by God to have a seat at the great ban banquet in heaven. 
and they've rejected it. So they're not going to be present when that feast takes place. They will not taste the banquet. Uh, just a slight pause. Why don't you take a moment? What I'd like you to do is think, what is an achievement you're really proud of? And again, if you're on your own, maybe just think, think of something and try and work out for yourself. Well, why am I proud of that? How did it happen? If you're with other people, you could share, share an achievement and why you're so proud of it. Um, and if, if you do that quite quickly, whilst I'm leaving time for other people, you can share it on the chat function. You can tell us all some of your greatest achievements. Um, give you a minute or so to do that. Well, hopefully you're doing that where you are there's not much come on in chat maybe you're too humble to show off some of your greatest achievements that's probably a good thing um but i just want to think we all like a bit of glory now and then we'd like some recognition when we do something significant and i think you know we talk about pride but i think it's okay to be proud of something you've worked hard for so when you get good exam grades and you know you've worked really hard or you learn to play a musical instrument or your hard work at work earns your promotion or you just are able to enjoy a garden that you have transformed with hard work and graft. So I'm, I'm proud that I have a degree. I worked hard for it. Particularly proud I'm the first person in my family to go to university. I'm proud uh, of the fact in some organisations where I've worked, I've been able to be promoted into a more senior role. And I think that's okay. If you disagree, you can message me after and challenge my pride in those things. But I think I worked hard for them. So I'm proud of what I achieved. But what we need to be careful of is we're not chasing after superficial glory, the glory that this world offers. Seeking glory in things that have little meaning and don't last. And actually not seeing the true glory of God and wanting a pitiful imitation of his glory for ourselves. And why do I share that? Because I think that's what Jesus is saying the Pharisees were doing. He judges them and his judgment is harsh. They're chasing after popularity. They're chasing after status. They're chasing after riches and wealth. They're chasing after comfort. They're self-righteous and self-centered. Rather than kind of show you all the evidence for that, you'll have to read chapter 14, the first part, and check that I'm interpreting it correctly. But I'm assuming that's what Jesus is saying. And it's important to know that context, because in our passage, what Jesus is saying about discipleship is a direct contrast to that fake superficial religion of the pharisees those pharisees should be godly and devout and they have all the appearance of being religious and pious but jesus says they're just like the world they're seeking superficial glory for themselves so that's the scene we have jesus with a group of seemingly religious people judged them to be enemies of god wanting glory for themselves he's warned them through parables of their glory seeking and how that would ultimately mean they miss out on eternal glory, the glory that God offers. 
So then we arrive at verse 25 and Jesus turns to the crowd that's been following him and speaks to them. While we've been focused on the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, it seems there's been a crowd watching too. And so now Jesus turns to address them, but he's also still speaking, I believe, to the Pharisees. And it's a bit like, it reminded me of those TV shows. Every now and again in a play or a movie or a TV show, you get a, a character suddenly stops and speaks to the audience, addresses the audience directly. Uh, and depending on what age you are, whether these uh, mean anything to you, I record Ferris Bueller telling the audience, uh, the key to faking out to parents is the clammy hands. Maybe you tried that on with your parents to get a day off school like Ferris did. Or if you're younger, maybe you've seen Aladdin, uh, the animated version, and remember the genie had to help Aladdin with his lines, or at the end tells viewers they've been a good audience. Uh, it also reminded me of times when our children were younger and one of them would be sulking and I'm trying to reason with them and get a response and nothing works. So I'm, I talk to Lucy and I'm talking to her, but my words are also for the child who's still there. So something along the lines of, well, I don't know why they're so upset. I was actually going to ask them if they wanted to go to the park. And depending on their response, obviously I might have to increase the size of the bribe and say a little bit more, but I'm talking to Lucy, but actually the words are also for the child. And I think that's the same here. Jesus, he wants the crowd to hear his words, but he's also still having a message for the Pharisees. And so there's that contrast in what he now says with what he has judged to be uh, the false superficial religion of the Pharisees. The Pharisees want popularity. Jesus says a true disciple is prepared to be an outcast. That's what it would mean to be cut off from your family and friends. The Pharisees want status. Jesus says a true disciple is prepared to be insignificant in the eyes of the world and endure humiliation. That's what it means to carry your cross and give up your life. The Pharisees want riches and wealth. Jesus says a true disciple is content to be poor and does not make an idol of riches. That is what it means to give up everything. The Pharisees want comfort. Jesus says a true disciple will do hard things and endure suffering. That is what it means to carry your cross. The Pharisees are self-centered and self-righteous. Jesus says a true disciple is self-sacrificial. That is what it means to give up your life. So being a true disciple is an all or nothing thing. Once you commit to following Jesus, his glory should be our desire, not our own glory. When we see him for who he is and understand what he's done for us, we should love him more than anything this world has to offer. And so those of us who call ourselves Christians, we should give over to Jesus our relationships, our status, our comforts, our belongings, our very selves and our lives. Everything we have now belongs to Jesus. Being a true disciple is an all or nothing thing. And I really, I really hope uh, that isn't a surprise to you if you're a Christian, especially those of you who were with us last week. We looked at two parables, uh, the hidden treasure and the pearl, and they also taught us that the kingdom of God is so precious and so amazing that our joy in discovering it is we will give up everything so we can get it for ourselves. And I think in some sense, Jesus is just saying the same thing here in a different way. Being a follower of Jesus, having all that Jesus offers is so amazing 
that we would want to give up everything to have what he offers. Again, it isn't even just a Christian thing either. In life generally, we know something is really important, really precious. We're going to work hard and make sacrifices to get it. So we can look around us at top sports people, musicians, actors, politicians, scientists, and so on. People we know for their talent and skill. Those people have usually made great sacrifice to get where they are. Their work is often the result of hard work, commitment and sacrifice. A musician will practice for thousands and thousands of hours. A scientist who makes a breakthrough discovery will have had many, many failed experiments before that. And we often use the phrase the road to glory and often the road to glory is hard and costly. And we see that in the world around us. And Jesus is saying, actually, the road to eternal glory is also hard. So I think he's doing two things. He's telling the crowd Look at the Pharisees. They've got it wrong. That's not what it looks like to be a true disciple. And at the same time, he's hoping the Pharisees are listening and they are hearing you're not true disciples. You've compromised with the world and you have nothing but empty, superficial religion. And elsewhere, we can read Jesus warns that there are going to be some when he returns who will believe they're going to be saved and join him in eternity. Believe he will say to them, Away from me, I never knew you. I think that's where these Pharisees are. And every time I read those words, I find them terrifying because that could be me and it makes me want to be reassured about my salvation because what a terrifying thought to believe you're saved when you're not. Being a true disciple is an all or nothing thing and the Pharisees unfortunately chose nothing. Uh, back over to you guys again. I did, there was an email went round, it said, bring something along that is really precious to you. So either the object or the photo, or if you haven't got it with you, you can share in the chat something that's really precious to you. And again, if there are other people with you, why not tell them why it's so precious? Again, just a minute, share with each other what, what things are really precious to you. You might want to have a look at other people's as they're holding them up. Yeah, a few interesting things and some things in the chat. Well, thanks for bringing those things. Thanks for sharing. Um, you'll see why I kind of had that links in hopefully soon. I think Jesus in this thing is being really clear. A disciple should be single minded. Only one Lord. And we can read in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So I'm really sorry to have to say, following Jesus might mean you have to give up the things that are precious to us. It's probably unlikely you're going to have to get rid of the thing you've just shared. But if we're true disciples, there are going to be times Jesus asks us to bear a cost and to let go of something that it might be precious to us. Maybe you're someone who seeks popularity. 
you're obsessed with how many people have liked your social media posts or you really want people to like you at work you enjoy having lots of friends being a true disciple could mean you are treated as an outcast uh, we look around the world and that's a reality for many christians particularly in uh, muslim majority countries in communist countries for example if you become a christian in north korea or somewhere like iran your family and friends will disown you maybe even report you to the authorities so you are arrested and imprisoned in some cases even attempt or are successful in killing you those christians know all too well that uh, following jesus might cost them their family and friends i don't think our experience is like that but it reminds us that we may have to bear something similar maybe you seek status uh, promotion at work is one thing but if you're chasing that for the title and the authority the status then maybe you're a bit more like the pharisees than you want to be you want to be someone who's seen as important and special well, i'm afraid being a true disciple could mean you have to take on an insignificant role and maybe even be humiliated it might mean loving your neighbors by serving them maybe something like a local food bank that doesn't get much recognition or status it might mean people call you names at school it might mean the trolls come after you on social media or in the press maybe you're somebody who seeks wealth and your working life is centered around getting as much money as you can or you're still at school but your decisions are aimed and driven by getting a job with the biggest salary you can get or you often think how much better life would be with more money well being a true disciple might mean you have to live a life of poverty and again there are many people around the world who are christians who know that to be true but even for us in an affluent nation we might have to make decisions as christians that lead us down paths where we have less money we would otherwise have and some simple examples maybe work for a church or charity generally has a lower salary or maybe you're called to make bigger financial sacrifices and be a missionary overseas or you have to miss out on a business deal because you choose to act with integrity and honesty and therefore you get less from it if we're true disciples we're not going to be chasing after money and possessions maybe you seek comforts uh, we live in a country and at a time in history where life has never been more comfortable and yet so many still seek more comforts people still strive for bigger houses they convince themselves they need a spare room or utility room something that would make life easier or a bigger car that would be more comfortable to travel around in or maybe even well our home's fine but let's have a second home one we could go to on weekends and for holidays and i'm aware some of you have those things already and i'm not telling you to give them up i think what jesus is saying if you pursue those things more than you pursue him then you need to reassess your priorities and i think he is challenging you if he asks you to give those things up are you prepared to being a true disciple will mean you have to do hard things and endure suffering rather than using your annual leave to go and lie on a sunny beach which i enjoy and is great uh, maybe you god is calling you to be a short-term missionary somewhere else and use your time differently 
Maybe God is calling you to make a stand in the public square for the weak and the vulnerable so they get justice. Maybe God is calling you to stand in culture for his values and against increasing move to dismiss God's values. Or maybe you're self-centered and self-righteous. You've convinced yourself you're good enough for God and forgotten you need to rely on Jesus. When you make decisions, you only consider your own desires and needs. And it's your emotions that drive your character and behavior rather than God's spirit at work in you. Well, being a true disciple means completely dying to self, being self-forgetful and self-sacrificial. Everything you have, all that you are, is united with Christ and hidden in him. It's quite a list. <laughs> if someone asks you to describe, well, you're a Christian, what does, what does that mean? What, what's it like being a Christian? Would you really describe it in those terms, using that language? Would you really want to say being a true disciple is an all or nothing thing? The cost is high. And we might be thinking, surely that's not realistic. I can't do that. Is it really worth it? Well, let's not forget Jesus lived that very life. He came to earth and was treated as an outcast. He was homeless and often cut off from his family. He left his father in heaven to come to earth. He gave up all the glory he had in heaven to come and be born as a boy in an insignificant and poor family. The creator of the universe lived a life of absolute poverty. He was ridiculed and mocked even when he was on the cross dying. He suffered the total humiliation of crucifixion, dying at the hands of those he had created and came to save. We read how at times he's able to set aside his own fears, his emotions and desires so that he would perfectly obey his father. He literally carried his own cross and sacrificed himself for our salvation. So when Jesus says, follow me, it shouldn't surprise us that that road, that way is costly. It cost him greatly. Being a true disciple is an all or nothing thing. But I can understand you might be saying, is it worth it? Is it actually possible? Can I actually do that? Why would anyone follow Jesus if it's that hard? And so think back to those famous people we briefly thought about people who make enormous sacrifices to achieve their goals to to be world champion to be a best-selling artist or a scientist who finds a new cure for some disease and we do celebrate those achievements we see the sacrifice as worth the effort to get the outcome how much more then should we see that all we get through jesus as we were reminded in those two parables the the treasure hidden treasure and the the pearl how much more should we see what we get through Jesus is worth so much more than any cost we might have to bear. But Jesus agrees that it's the right question to ask. He says it would be foolish to start a building project if you cannot finish it. It's foolish to go to war if you have no chance of victory. It would be foolish to start out as a disciple if you're not going to see it through to the end, if you're not willing to bear the cost. You end up being salt that's lost its saltiness, only good to be thrown out. Not even good enough for the manure heap. I think one of Satan's tactics is to give us a measure of worldly glory that seduces us. 
And you can read when he, when Satan tried to tempt Jesus, he used glory for worldly glory to try and tempt him. And Jesus resisted. We need to be ready to resist too. So Satan might offer popularity, status, riches, comfort, self-righteousness. But if you fall for those things, you become ineffective as a disciple. You're choked by the cares of this world as we heard in the parable of the soils and you stop being fruitful. So what is going to keep us going? As an athlete endures training, they focus on the competitions and the medals. As the musician practices again and again, they focus on the concerts they're going to take part in. What is going to keep us going? Well, we're back to the context that Jesus said these things. Just before the passage we're looking at, Jesus had said, those who humble themselves will be exalted. He reminds them there'll be a resurrection and a judgment. And that parable I mentioned, the great banquets, that those who submit to Jesus as Lord and follow him will be with him in glory, enjoying a seat at the great banquet. That's what awaits those who see this through to the end, a seat at the great feast in heaven. But not just the future, uh, we can read elsewhere, knowing Jesus means we can live a life now full of faith, full of hope, full of joy and full of love. Whilst we look forward to that assurance of that eternity to be spent with Jesus in glory. Friend, if you're not a Christian, uh, you might be thinking, is it worth it? We're not urging you to be a Christian so much as just have that label. We're not urging you to come to church. We're urging you to grab hold of Jesus. Be a true disciple. It's all or nothing and hard, but it's worth it. When you see who Jesus really is, you realize whatever he might ask you to give up has no value at all. And what you receive cannot even be measured. So we're not calling you to church. We're not calling you to join KCC. We're calling you to be a disciple of Jesus, to be united with him in this life and for all eternity. And for those of you who are Christians, brothers and sisters, this passage is serious. It causes us to assess our walk with Jesus. Where are we in our discipleship? Have we drifted and become like the Pharisees? We have the appearance of religion, but we're not real disciples. Have we been seduced by the superficial fading glory this world offers? Rather than pursuing Jesus, we're pursuing popularity, status, riches, comfort, or self-righteousness. I'd implore you, let us commit again to be wholehearted disciples. Let us recognise being a disciple is all or nothing. And let's stop thinking the cost of real discipleship is too high. It's a hard road, but it's a road that Jesus travelled before us. And a road he travels with us now. We're not alone. He's our guide and companion. We can walk this path with God's strength, with the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus is our rod and our staff for the journey. And we must remember it's the road that leads to God, that leads to heaven, to eternal life, to the seat that awaits us at the great banquet. The first disciples asked Jesus a very similar question. Uh, so just to kind of draw to a close, listen again to how Jesus answered them when they said, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And this is Jesus' answer to them. And I believe to us when we ask the question, is it worth it? 
Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Friends, let's remember being a disciple of Jesus is to travel the road to true glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you so much for Jesus and all that he did for us. And as we read these challenging words uh, that cause us to assess our own discipleship and where we are with Jesus, Lord, would you encourage us that by your spirit we can live up to what Jesus calls us to, that you empower us and gift us and equip us for that call, that yes, in the eyes of the world, it might be costly to follow Jesus, but it is worth it. Would we constantly remind ourselves of the gospel, knowing and reminding ourselves of all that we have in Christ and that future we can look forward to, a seat at the great banquet in his presence for all eternity. Amen.